Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Maradian, and joining us is a good friend of this program, uh, Dr. Jim Lewis, the Director of the Strategic Technologies Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, somebody on the forefront, not just of technology, uh, but also on cyber. Jim, uh, welcome back. Always a pleasure having you on the program. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, and indeed, Happy New Year, because it's been a little while. You joined us for the year-end uh, program, and uh, and now uh, we're almost uh, a month into 2020. Uh, before we get started, our daily coverage is sponsored by Bell, Leonardo DRS, and HII. Sponsor our global coverage, Fortress Information Security, as I mentioned, sponsors not only our weekly cyber report, but our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage, ultra intelligence and communications sponsors our command and control coverage, and GE. Aerospace uh, sponsors our air and air power coverage, and Leonardo DRS, HII, and GE Marine, a GE Aerospace company, sponsored our coverage of the Surface Navy Association's annual symposium recently. Uh, Jim, thanks very much again uh, for uh, joining us. Uh, Ted Liu, the Democratic congressman from California, who also happens to be our, uh, an Air Force Reserve colonel, but also somebody, uh, you know, falls into a small number of people with uh, some really serious uh, cyber and coding pedigree, uh, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times uh, talking about the perils of AI uh, and suggested and has since uh, and has suggested an agency to oversee the technology. Uh, we've uh, discussed this. You've pointed out actually, like it's not that AI is coming; AI is is here. It's just getting stronger. Walk us through, you know, not just his concerns, but you know, legitimate concerns surrounding AI and what the leading thinking in the community is. Um, before we can get to the, you know, how do we control it and and uh, whether an agency is the right approach? So one thing that's changed uh, in the last couple decades is that U.S. has become a much more risk-averse society. And I think that colors our view of new technologies. You know, I've been thinking about um, a century ago, we, you might not have gotten the same reaction from people would have focused more on the opportunities. Uh, that doesn't mean there aren't legitimate concerns, uh, but the pace of change is one thing that drives this, is people feel like it's out of their control. Uh, the opacity of change. Uh, most people don't know what AI is, including me. Um, so it's hard to say I can relax about this because uh, I don't know anything. But that's that's the main thing that occurs to me is that you know, a more confident culture might not be as afraid. Um, what are, uh, from a peril standpoint, uh, right? I mean, there's this concern about the nexus of AI and and weapons. I should point out, we have a lot of pretty smart weapons as it is. Uh, so, you know, although I think that people have this tendency of, of robotic warfare, something which uh, uh, the congressman did mention in his piece, how much of this is genuine concern, right? I mean, everybody then devolves to the Terminator um, where there are actually a lot more pernicious and nefarious ways that AI can intervene. I mean, indeed, right, you and I could be sitting next to each other in the same car, and when we push on ways or a navigation uh, system, it may not know we're in the exact same car, so we'll t it will tell me to go one way, you to go another way, in part to deconflict traffic, right? I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that happen in the back end of this. How, you know, aside from just the risk aversion part of it, what part is sort of falls into the category of, genuine no joke because this debate now is also surfacing as you know 
among some intellectual circles that we may be squeamish about using AI, but our adversaries will not be, for example, the Chinese. How do we need to think about not just risk reward, but I mean, the ethical application of AI and, and the like? The point about the Chinese is crucial. And, you know, everyone always picks on China, probably for a good reason. But um, that's why we ought to be thinking about how we take advantage of this rather than how we step on the brakes, because the Chinese don't appear to be thinking about how to step on the brakes. Um, most people know the Patriot missile system. One thing the Patriot learned probably 20 years ago was that um, human beings can't react quickly enough uh, for a lot of incoming missiles. Uh, we found that in the case of this, this is ancient history, the Scuds in the Persian Gulf War, by the time a crew could react, the Scud had landed. Um, you need to automate things and automation and weapons has been around, as you say, for a long time. But it's more the sense that we've somehow lost control, the sense that we don't understand what's really going on. But I'd, I'd focus less on the brake pedal and more on the accelerator because that's what our opponents are gonna do. And I should point out that next week, uh, we're having our latest in our command and control uh, series, and we're going to be talking to Brigadier General Spaniard Valencia, uh, who uh, is uh, the key person in the Air Force's uh, air battle management system, uh, the Air Force's contribution to the Joint All-Domain Command and Control System. And we're going to be talking about cognition and how AI changes the cognitive space. And that's actually a question that I want to ask you, right? What do you make of the congressman's recommendation for an agency to be able to a uh, oversee AI, in part because AI is in everything from not just the cell phones and the architecture that's recording this, uh, but you know my toaster. The problem with agencies is that they uh, look for a mission. And so when I look at the European Union and their AI regulations, uh, there's a lot of problems with doing this. Uh, the definition of AI uh, at least one draft had any any program that used mathematical formula could qualify as AI. Well, that's a bit broad. So working towards the idea of an agency, what would the agency look for? And in some ways, if we have agencies that don't work now, why would adding another one change that? I'm more worried about the damage to privacy uh, and data governance from the technologies, which are largely unregulated. Now, on the flip side of that, the European model is let's guess what the risk is and then try and regulate it. And the overall, overall effect, the cumulative effect, is to kill their tech sector. So we've got to avoid the open, you know, wild west of the past. That's not going to fly anymore. And it probably does have some risk. But at the same time, um, an overly clutchy regulatory approach will leave us weaker. So finding that middle ground is the test for me and making sure that we don't kill the innovation engine by regulating it. Um, I'd probably but, ask people to identify what are the AI applications you're, you are worried about? Is it AI controlling strategic weapons? Is it AI uh, you know, making decisions on uh, personnel matters? I, what are the, what are the, let's start by identifying what are we worried about and then figure out how to, how to govern them. Is there, is there any, you know, I mean, obviously the idea of ethical AI or, you know, um, we've heard from Tom Siebel of C3AI on this, uh, right? I mean, there are certain things that there will be bias in it. So you may not, you don't want to use AI for things where bias can creep into it. Um, but, you know, when it comes to bias or things, 
you know, what what would be on that very short list of things you would worry about, right? That yeah. you would put into the let's let's measure this one three times before we cut it. Uh, because the case you're making is actually take a little more risk, be better on data security and all of that stuff. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But what are the thing, what are the parts of it that is a legitimate concern? Because again, we tend to sort of conflate all of these things. And and you're right, you could actually regulate it out of existence, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. And so the example I usually use is when cars were invented, the uh, British uh, Automobile Association, whatever it was called, um, they were worried about the effect of cars. So they passed rules that uh, before you could drive a car, you had to have someone walking in front of it, carrying a red flag to warn horses so you didn't fright them, frighten them. And we're kind of taking the same approach uh, to some of the new technologies. That doesn't mean there isn't risk, um, but there are probably better ways to make things safer. And for AI, um, I don't, I don't know if, you know, the real question is, would use using AI increase the risk of biased decisions? Because we know humans are biased. So does it, what's the delta here? And then you can start to say, do we have updates? Do we have oversight? Do we look at how things uh, actually operate? Cars are a good example. If you look at the original cars, you know, the model, model T versus the cars of today, they're infinitely safer. So think about how we how we change the technology in a direction we want to be safer and more responsible. And that might be taking a step back and seeing how it actually works. I mean, if we know there's bias in the system now, that might be the problem. It's not that AI is biased, it's that the programmers might be biased. And so how do you bring that bias to light? How do you get controls on it? And I think a lot of this is driven by our fear that we can't control the technology anymore. Um, whether that's true or not, uh, I think that's what drives a lot of this, is people are afraid that the thing has escaped their control. And is there any evidence that it has escaped their control? Because almost everything we're doing has been designed by somebody to do something, right? So the whole notion of it's it it can sort of become sentient and you know i mean you know this is dates to the earliest days right uh that it, it gains sentience and then puts us to the yoke but right you i mean your whole point is test crash learn yeah. build better crash again right i mean it's all under our control ultimately so i think the first time this came up was probably in the 1920s and I believe that's where we got the word robot, right? That you had uh, basically difficult as, I think they were steam powered, steam powered killer robots in 1923 Prague. Mm, okay, uh, we make these predictions that are kind of fanciful. Uh, there is no sentience there. So it's really right now the question of um, what is AI connected to? Um, how much insight and control do we have over the decision? A good example is the airplane that made decisions about how to adjust the tab trim, or I forget what it was, the, the airlines. And because of errors in sensing, um, would put the plane into a nosedive. Right? And the pilots uh, couldn't um, defeat it. They would pull up, plane would go back into a dive. 
the fix there is how about a button that disconnects it, right? Which it turns out there was such a button, but it was under the pilot seat. Right. So I think we need to think not so much about um, how do we limit the development, but how do we make sure we have insight and control? Is there a, is there a button that lets us turn this off? Uh, and if we turn it off, what happens? If you turned off AI and some things, all the lights would go out, but this will take some time to develop, uh, take, take some time to think through how to, how to govern the technology, both in terms of policy and law, but also in terms of, you know, actual safeguards built in. So um, we're just a different society. We're a society that is uh, more worried about losing control than the society of, say, 50 or 100 years ago. And that means we might take a different approach. My main concern is we don't take up that approach in a way that damages either our economic strength or our military strength. And there is some risk. Look at Europe. There is some risk that you could do that. The administration is about to put on its new cyber strategy. You've been uh, sort of giving us previews and a little bit of a countdown uh, to that. Um, there's also a great call for more close regulation. And I want to talk about the Google ads issue uh, in a moment uh, as well and and lawsuits and, and again, even antitrust actions being taken against uh, social media sites. I mean, obviously, the governing re- regulation goes back to 1996. Sort of walk us through how this new cyber strategy, I mean, you know, what what are the elements in it? What are the elements that are not going to be in it? And how do they cross connect uh, across the things, you know, because I think the administration is trying to take a more holistic view of the space. Um, you know, what's going to be in it? What's not going to be in it, ultimately, as we as we try to, you know, and give us a sense on how the administration is thinking as we grapple with all of those other issues, whether on an AI front or on uh, a social media and social media regulation front? Part of it is that technology has become sort of a portmanteau term for a whole range of issues that really aren't connected. I I sort of am giving up on this. I thought, oh, we'll find one ring that, that controls them all. And I'm not sure. The technology makes it sound like there's a, a unity among these things, and there isn't. And the strategy is focused very much on cybersecurity. The issues that we've all talked about for a long time, uh, workforce, uh, infrastructure, uh, partnerships. Um, but what it does that's, I think, really different is that it, it revisits the 2012 debate, uh, the Lieberman-Collins bill, which would have created a regulatory regime. Uh, probably would have been a mistake back then because we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, but I think what the strategy does is take a step back and say, Okay, we've got 10 years of experience. Um, what would less of a reliance on voluntary measures look like? Where would mandatory measures make sense? So this is the start of a longer work in progress, but I, I think it's something that we need to do now. We have the experience. Um, you, I know we'll talk about workforce later, but uh, the number of people who do about cybersecurity, deeply knew about it, probably was less than 100 uh, in 2010. And now, of course, uh, there's uh, many, many more people. So people are going to be looking and saying it to the strategy. Um, Where is it we can use the power of government, either through regulation or acquisitions, to drive better security? And I think that's a good step. 
you mentioned uh, talent, and b- before we got started, uh, you know, we we talked a little bit about this, right? I mean, a lot of major uh, social media companies uh, and uh, tech companies uh, have been uh, cutting workforce. Um, you know, the defense sector's attitude towards this is, wow, great, a lot of very, very uh, well trained and p- pretty sophisticated talent might be uh, hitting the market. So, you know, there, uh, you know, certainly you can address some of your personnel uh, shortage uh, needs. What do they tell us about the evolution, particularly of cyber, right? Because the people they're getting rid of are not necessarily cyber people, are they? Right? Where where are we on sort of the, the cyber economy? As you said, even 13 years ago, you know, you, you could, you, you know, you know, and a, a, uh, a relatively small personal phone book could have handled all the people who really, really know what they're doing. Now it's a much, much bigger career field, right? We're still not generating the jobs fast enough, but we're generating them maybe a little bit faster. Where, where are we, you know, talk to us about the whole ecosystem, some of the job cuts we're seeing and the opportunities and what it tells us about the sort of the fundaments of the cyber, um, people marketplace, if you will. You know, one thing that is uh, different is that um, cyber might be too narrow a term for it. It's really the digitization of the economy, the digitization of the military. And so you've got people who've thought about how to use digital technologies, whether it's social media or the internet or sensors or whatever, how to use it to make money. And a lot of them are gonna be coming on the market. It's a great opportunity. Uh, I was talking to someone from the administration a couple of days ago, and they said, um, this is actually a place where Jen Easterly, who is cool, undeniably cool, she's going to be attractive to these new people as a, as a boss. We're going to have great opportunities to build up the workforce in a way that we didn't have a few years ago. The line has always been reasonably so, that the government can't compete with the tech sector when it comes to pay or perks. Um, right. Now that they're coming on the market, I think you'll see, uh, someone said, well, look, I made enough money in the tech bubble. Now I can afford to work for the government for a while. So I think that's that's what we're looking at is a, uh, the diffusion of a talent pool into other sectors. And it comes at a good time um, because we've just, uh, we've, reach sort of, you know, all these efforts to build workforce. Um, this is a big boon to them, the fact that you've got more people coming on the market with a range of skills. So I'm overall, I'm very optimistic uh, about the whole thing. Uh, the skills they have, you know, they know how to work in a digital economy. And that's probably the best thing we've got going for us. Um, let me ask you, just uh, go back, not, not to uh, be pedantic and go back and drill on this AI uh, but also uh, because I do want to ask you about the Google uh, ads issue in a, in a moment. Th- does the administration have an approach on what on AI um, from a strategic perspective? And what is the sense also when it comes to um, social media regulation and the elements that go into that? Right. I mean, obviously, that's an important debate and the role that companies play. Uh, Elon Musk has injected himself into that uh, debate or perhaps has always been uh, involved in it. Um, and, you know, I mean, some of these new economy companies are trimming their sales uh, a little bit um, and 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 dealing with questions on both AI and on social media. Where, where is the administration's head, Jim, um, in, in, in terms of, of the approach they're going to take? 
they've done a tremendous amount of work. And I just today, in fact, they put out a new uh, AI research uh, task force report on uh, strengthening and democratizing AI. Uh, so they've thought about this very carefully. Uh, they're building on the work of the uh, National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence, which remains, uh, along with the Solarium Commission, two of the most influential reports of the last decade. So I think they've got a, a part of the problem is that we don't know the scope of this, right? I mean, it's it's easy to speculate, and then you start getting into science fiction. Um, we need to have more applications, and then look at the applications and say, "Hey, this is where it's good. This is where it's bad. This is where we need to worry." Um, so some of this will be timed by the development and deployment of more artificial intelligence. Uh, but overall, I think if there was one point I was going to place, I'd point to it's that our continued inability to come up with privacy rules. Uh, maybe that will change in this Congress. Uh, they got very close the last time. Uh, rules governing data. I don't. I don't particularly think that we want to have the Europeans telling us how to govern our data. But um, you know, the administration. This is this is like some of its predecessors, a, a very tech savvy administration. And that's a plus. Um, let me uh, ask you about uh, the Google Ads. Uh, issue and and lawsuit. Um, explain to the audience what it is and why it matters. So in the days before Atlantis sank beneath the waves, uh, <laughs> there was a debate. I, I was part of this in, in NSF paid for the internet. At that point, there were about 150 million people on it. They were all Americans. And NS, NSF said, this isn't our job, right? We're, we're running an infrastructure. We need to find a different way to pay for the internet. And there was a lot of discussion over the best way to do that. And by default, the model that emerged was uh, data for services, you know, because the data, your personal data helps advertising right. uh, become more effective, right? Noticeably more effective. And so you had a couple companies, a number of companies develop um, advertising systems, not advertising in the sense of a commercial, but advertising in the sense of they harvest, you, you do a search, the software looks at that search, it puts it up for auction to say who wants to, who wants their ad to come up. Uh, the companies that are bidding on different advertising say, I want, the, you know, they look at your demographic and say, I want this. So there's un behind the whole internet, there's a highly automated process for targeting ads on people, for uh, creating markets for advertising. Um, Google, uh, in part because of its purchase of DoubleClick, one of these original companies, Google has a dominant position. I think they've got about 70% of the market. And you don't even know it. I mean, when you type in, uh, I don't know, like running shoes, um, there's an almost instantaneous uh, trade that takes place between advertisers and service providers where they, you're, you're basically, your request is auctioned off in some ways for which ad will go along with it. Um, may not like that, but that's how it works. And it works well as a funding mechanism the argument is, is that the, the accretion of power that Google got 
uh, by buying DoubleClick and other things, and by having, frankly, the best search engine, um, is gives them a, a monopoly in the advertising space. And certainly, we've seen a lot of changes where uh, traditional advertisers have been forced to the wall by the this online, this automated online system. So I, I think the suit is in some ways overdue. We'll see how it goes. I mean ideally they'd be able to show consumer harm from this. I don't know if they can, uh, but that's what's going on. You've got a highly automated. Right. This happens in less time than it took me to say it. It takes less time. It takes milliseconds for right. these trades to happen and or these purchases of advertising time to happen. It, it works really well, but uh, people are worried about the implications for competition. I do find it unusual, you know, uh, unnerving, unnerving, uh, right? Um, I mean, we're all surrounded by devices that listen to you, uh, whether it's on your wrist, whether it's in your pocket or on your desktop uh, and your television. And I always find it interesting that if you happen to have a conversation about where you want to go, you know, you have that discussion in front of your family TV. The next time you turn it on and you turn YouTube or whatever else on, there are a whole bunch of videos about wherever it is you were uh, thinking about uh, visiting, which which is unnerving to some. And I would say is the uh, confluence, right, uh, Jim, of uh, technology at the endpoint uh, on the Internet, in AI, and how it interconnects on the uh, in ads, uh, right? So that's the ecosystem at work. So the, the words of the day here have been around probably since the 1980s, and that's transparency and consent. Some people like the fact that relevant ads are queued up to them. Right. You know, you're not get, I I felt I I used to try and evade ads and so I would get things for like diapers and minivans and you know because <laughs> I don't know. It's like I don't care. But right. um people don't know what's being collected on them. Uh, they don't know what's being done with it and they haven't agreed to it. So there's three simple rules. Tell people what you're collecting, tell them what you're going to do with it and then give them the ability to opt out. Uh, advertisers may not want to do that because we know people will opt out a lot of times. But I think there's some basic principles that go back to the dawn of the computer age that we could we failed to adopt for the internet, and now we need to catch up. And, and that applies, uh, just to bring the conversation full circle, right? That you can have a similar approach when it comes to artificial intelligence for anything that really matters. Uh, from a war fighting or from a national security perspective as well, couldn't you? Or wouldn't you? No, you could. I mean, you want you want the commander, you want the decision maker to know uh, what he's being given, what uh, what you know where it came from, um, and what people are doing with it. So that that's going to be an advantage, all right? You're you're going to be able to get data much more quickly. Then the issue is what what do you want the machine to decide for you? If it's a Patriot shooting at an incoming Scud, you probably want it to make that decision. Right. If it's something a little more complex, um, you might want to think. And so this is where they get into the human in the loop stuff. Right. Human in the loop is okay as long as it doesn't slow things down. I mean, if we're now talking about hypersonic missiles from China, um, human in the loop may not always work when it comes to hypersonic. Uh, indeed, uh, you will need greater automaticity. And one last thing, uh, I wanted to find out whether or not it was the Automobile Association, which is Britain's version of the uh, of AAA, 
and it is not, according to Mental Floss, uh, in the 19th century, in the 19th century United Kingdom, driving a horseless carriage was a huge pain. The Locomotives Act passed in 1865 by the British Parliament set out a series of legal restrictions for drivers, mostly aimed at keeping the road safe for horses horse-driven carriages and pedestrians and restricting horse the horseless carriage severely. So that's where somebody, you know, you can only go two miles an hour in towns and you had to have somebody at all times walking in front of the vehicle with a red flag, hence red flag laws, Jim. So thank you very much. And, um, and that's the model we want to avoid is to, our, the goal of our technology policy should not be to protect horses. Jim, uh, thanks very much. It's always a pleasure having you on the program. Uh, a very thoughtful uh, discussion and one that we'd love to continue with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Talk to you soon.